Thank you guys for being here. I uh, really appreciate it. This is going to be another racetrack uh, workshop. Uh, we have so much to cover, and this is practical, practical stuff. Uh, if you didn't attend the first hour, I would commend to you to go back to the TMEI uh, website and find the first hour notes. It's sort of the biblical foundation and principles for stuff that we're moving forward with now. Uh, this workshop number two and number three are very, very practical, and there are some additional notes from workshop one on the back counter back there. You can get them if you want. <coughs> I would really appreciate your feedback. The little um, feedback link there um, gives you space to also ask questions. So if you have questions that aren't answered in the workshop and you want to ask them directly to me, go ahead and just go to the link, fill that out, or Write me on my email address. It's there at the bottom of the page. Leading with focus and effectiveness. Uh, we already had an introduction to me. Uh, Propempo has come alongside in partnership with TMAI. Um, it became apparent actually a couple of years ago that churches that love TMAI, like our church, our own home church, um, would call TMAI and say, hey, you guys are doing such a great job. Can you help us with our local church missions philosophy? Can you help us with our local church missions sort of details? And TMAI uh, took a stab at that, and that's in your, um, in your folder uh, from, what, two years ago, a team that produced that booklet. And yet they, they knew they, they would answer to the church is saying, well, that's not our focus. Our focus is the overseas training center stuff and training indigenous pastors. That's what we want to do. Um, how are we going to be able to serve churches that have specific questions and needs about development and being more effective in their local church missions? And we had this little partnership wedding with Propempo and TMAI to say, probably the TMAI office is going to pass the baton over to Propempo for us to follow up with you guys when you have local church missions ministry questions or issues. Our website is a humongous resource. There's, a lot, there's thousands, literally, of downloadable documents and video clips and things like that that you can access from propempo.com. But this is who we are. We help churches develop biblical, effective local church-centered missions ministry and equip those churches to be good sending churches um, for God's glory. Um, in this workshop, we're going to consider these five major areas. They should be on your handout. Using metrics, establishing value principles, defining priorities, pursuing focus, and communicating vision and direction. So all these things are just significant elements to you as pastor and elder leading your church with focus and effectiveness. One of the most common phone calls we get at Propempo office is a pastor who calls and says, I have three graduate degrees in ministry, and not a one of them informed me about how to lead my church in missions. Can you help? Another one, a uh, common phone call is, I look at the map of missionaries we support, and it looks like a shotgun blast with no connecting dots. There's nothing that connects the strategy or methodology or end result of all of these people, and some of them we hardly know at all. How did we ever get to this place? And usually it's a very biblical, sound, missions-minded church that's been doing it for 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years, and they don't know how they got to where they are right now. <coughs> We're going to start with using metrics. Um, one of the metrics that I'm going to commend to you is online. It's called the Church Missions Profile, and today it should be operational, at least in its draft mode. And um, if my PowerPoint is going to work right, I'm going to try to show that to you a little bit. But the Church Missions Profile takes this series of categories, 12 points, and it says, let's measure against the best practices of local churches around the United States. And this literally came from experience with, I want to say, thousands of churches, maybe as many as 10,000 churches experience over the course of ACMC. How many know what ACMC is? Only the oldest people in the room, like me, know that. 
advancing churches and missions commitment. Um, I worked in leadership with them and kind of inherited their stuff when they died. And so Propempo is a more biblically focused version and strategically focused version of whatever ACMC did um, 30 and 40 years ago. But this church missions profile goes through and asks questions. What are the best practices of churches and how do we measure up against that? So your church may actually use measurements of some kind, but I'd be willing to bet you a root beer float, which is my famous, most favorite bet of all. I'll bet you a root beer float that, and we both win because we'll both get one. <laughs> <coughs> but it depends on who pays, right? I'll bet you a root, root beer float that your church measures itself by what your church did last year. When you go to measure anything, you say, well, what did we do last year, and what's our goal this year? If you have a real long view, you may say, what do we want to do in five years? That's real long in American terms. In Japanese terms, they look at, what do we want to do three generations from now? Right? But that's the way, in America, we typically measure things. How did we do last year? How can we improve or do a little bit better this year? This series of metric descriptions goes through these 12 categories and says, if you're cold, if you're at the bottom of the list, that's where you are. If you're hot, you're on a level of some of the most effective churches out there in terms of practices that we can see and measure at all. And they're just descriptions. It started with this paper chart, which you can actually buy on propempo.com. You can buy the the digital version and print it off yourself. That's the easy way. Um, not necessarily the most fruitful way because then you have to interpret it. Well, what does that really mean? But at least it shows you where you are and you can use that. It's fine. It's for you to use. But now we have it online and it looks like this. Um, here's the 12 categories in a, in a sample kind of a chart. And you get to pick whether you want the free trial version or you want a single user version for 20 bucks for the year. And you can go back and double check on your findings and see it the next year. And a church one means that you can have as many as 10 people chime in on it. Now, the reason we created that is because typically the people who evaluate the ministries that they have responsibility for rate them higher than anybody else. It's called the halo effect. I mean, this is just this is the truth. This is the way it works. If you have the pastor evaluate the lead pastor ministry, he's going to evaluate it much higher than three other people, objective observers. If you have the Sunday school leader evaluate the Sunday school ministry, they're going to evaluate it higher than people that are just participants in the Sunday school ministry and so forth. Well, it works that way in missions too. So if you have a missions pastor, whether he's part or full-time, or you have just a senior pastor, or you have the missions chairman or missions team leader, whatever you want to call them, do this evaluation Unless they're ruthlessly honest, they're probably going to rate it higher. And so the, the church version of this is actually good. You can get as many as 10 people chiming in on it and help you um, with the evaluation be a little bit more um, further. Oh, here we go. I can hear this, but you can't. What are we doing? Oh, here we go. So using metrics in those 12 areas, I didn't, are those 12 on the worksheet? They are. Okay. So the very basic um, part of the 12 areas has to do with things that you would think kind of normal. Uh, biblical foundations. What does that mean? Does the church teach and preach missions on a regular basis? Is it part of the warp and woof of your teaching ministry? Local outreach. And there's two aspects to this. One is just, do you have an evangelistic heart? And are you exercising that in practical ways in your own community? But you may have international communities that are mixed in or around your church that you need to be looking at as possibilities for outreach. Missions education through all the ages of your church. The church leaders themselves, are they participating? The church leaders should be participating and modeling a commitment to mission that the congregation can see. Do you have a missions team? Team is my preferred term to use rather than committee. Committee sounds like a political thing. 
team sounds like you have goals and you're working together to achieve them. My bias, take it or not. Um, individual participation, that means what are the individual people and families in your church doing in the area of world missions? Prayer, giving, short-term missions, uh, missionary care, mission strategy, that is, do you even have one? Do you have a focus at all? Do you have a strategy at all? What do you expect to see come out of your church's missions in long-term results? And missionary training. This is often neglected, but it's an essential part of the local church ministry, and that is equipping the saints for the work of the ministry, including equipping those few who may be called into cross-cultural service. How do you do that? I say the local church is the primary responsible agent for seeing that that is done well. Even though you may delegate lots of different aspects to outside uh, resources and organizations, it's the church that's responsible to see it get done. It's, uh, my, my paradigm for that is homeschooling. Well, you could say, as a Christian, no matter where your kid is schooled, they're homeschooled. You get that? They have to be. You're responsible for all your kids' schooling, but you don't have to do it all yourself. You can wisely delegate aspects of your child's schooling to other places, whether that is public, private, some mix, some co-op, whatever. And in today's homeschool environment, there's a lot of other options that we didn't have when our kids were doing some homeschool. But the same is true for raising up missionaries, missionary training in your church. Church leaders of the sending church are responsible to see that that person is actually verified in their call and their ministry skills and trained appropriately to last long-term on the field. That's what we want to see happen. We're going to move to establishing value principles and I call them guiding principles. They're, they're values and other kind of business terminology. But guiding principles are, are informed by some biblical priorities. But you, you're going to look at these and you're going to go, David, that's a no-brainer. And I'm telling you, so why did you leave your brain out of it? These form the boundaries or framework in which the missions ministry of the church operates. So if the, if the leaders, the top leadership echelon of your church, elders or whatever council you have that is the top leadership, agree to these kinds of guiding principles, you don't have to accept these verbatim. These are my generic suggestions. But most churches that we work with, like-minded churches, find these very helpful. Um, then you can pass that down to the people who are doing more implementation, whether that's a missions team or a subset of the elders like Grace Church here has a, a subset of elders called ECHO, and those guys are responsible for overseeing the missions areas of Grace Community Church, which then includes GMI and TMAI and all the other stuff connected with that. Guiding principles are basically value statements. What is of utmost importance to the leadership and to the church? I think that's a duplicate slide. Sorry. First one, doctrinal alignment. Doctrinal alignment. I told you, you were going to think, that's a no-brainer. It is. So why don't you ask the questions of your missionaries and of their mission agency and or the team on which they serve on the field. Are you in doctrinal alignment with our church? Would you agree to our statement of faith? Most mission sending agencies have a very generic evangelical statement of faith that doesn't go as far as most of our churches go in terms of defining things. And of those things, which are really sine qua non, they're most essential, and which maybe are not so essential. But general doctrinal agreement and alignment is of utmost importance if this missionary is supposed to represent your church. I'm talking about sending church. But you can apply this to a supported missionary as well. Don't you want the ministries that you support overseas far away from your site and day-to-day -day oversight 
to represent the theology of what your church would teach and love and embrace. I uh, shared this with a, with a church in Laurel, Mississippi. They had two missionary families that were clearly not in alignment, and they knew it. And so they uh, uh, took the admonition appropriately. They approached these two missionary families and said, look, here's where we are. We would like you to be in alignment. Are you in alignment or are you not? And are you willing to be? And the one missionary family said, we are not and we're not willing to be. And the church in Laurel said, we'll taper your support off and release you. The other one said, what do you mean? We've never studied doctrine before like that. I said, okay, if you're teachable, we'll bring you into alignment. And they did. And over a long period of time, with a lot of books and reading and discipleship from the pastor, they did get in alignment. They embraced the doctrine that the church embraced and loved it. And we're sorry they hadn't done it years before. And now that missionary family is retiring from the field with great celebration of all that's accomplished. Another church in Anchorage, Alaska, had a member-sent missionary turned radical charismatic. And when that person came home for a furlough time or time back at home in Anchorage, caused a lot of problems. What do you do with that? I mean, they kind of grew up in the church, and they took a big left turn. Well, they had to handle that, and they're handling it, not without some stress but you know the church family kind of knows and loves these people you have to communicate properly we need to be in doctrinal alignment that's part of the communication piece if the missionary is an extension of the local church they must represent what the church would do and be in their situation that does not mean that you're transplanting a brick and mortar church here to be exactly like that on the field that assumes language, culture, contextualization appropriately, all of that, but otherwise in alignment. Second, local church connected or focused. If you were in the first workshop, this is no surprise to you. If you heard David Dorn's message at the first hour, this is no surprise to you. Local church connected and focused. Um, I was working with a large church in Houston, Texas, that when we just did a quick analysis of where their funding was going, one-third of all their missionary support went to campus ministries that had no connection whatsoever to local church. Not even an attempted connection. Like, you know, we lead somebody to Christ and point them to be a member of a solid church. That just wasn't happening. It was kind of an embarrassment for them to discover that on their own. And they decided, look, if we want to support somebody in campus ministry, they need to be focused in such a way that they consciously help the fruit of their ministry become a vital part, a member of a sound local church. Capiche? You understand that? That's a lot different than just kind of, you know, going to the dorms and campus events and handing out stuff and evangelizing, do a discipleship Bible study. I went through the 10 booklets. I'm good. Uh-uh. No, they need to be engaged in the local church. In fact, the same argument they make for the the willingness and we'll say humanly susceptibility of college students to grab hold of spiritual truth and become a Christian is because they're wrestling with these issues in their life. What is real? What is true? What's going to guide my life after college? And that's very true. So why wouldn't you inject the local church into that? We get people who are saved in campus ministry who graduate and never darken the door of a local church simply because they were never guided to do so. Sorry, getting a little animated. <coughs> we know of uh, well drilling ministries in Guatemala, medical ministry in Thailand, youth sports outreach in France and Switzerland that are intentionally engaging the fruit of their ministry into local churches. That's the way it ought to be. It, it's not too far removed so that it becomes local church connected and focused. That's what we want. That's the end goal of missions is to see local churches planted and developed and grown. Thirdly, oh, what have I got duplicates here for? Don't know. Uh, the missions team is aimed at enabling involvement. Now, you may not understand this at first blush, 
missions team or the missions committee, their purpose is not to do missions on behalf of the local church. Their purpose is to try to involve every member of the local church in missions ministry. See the difference? That's a huge paradigm change. It's different than sort of a political placeholder to say, we're going to manage the funds and put on some missions event on behalf of the local church. We're going to maybe screen missionaries that we can support, but not engage the church at all. The whole local church is a body that needs to own and embrace the missions task and its emissaries, the missionaries, so that they know them, they love them, they care for them, because they're part of them in representing them across the world. Again, I speak primarily of sending church relationship, but it can also apply to supporting church. So you shift responsibility of the activity and work of missions to the congregation. Everybody has a part in the Great Commission. It's not only for those few people that walk two feet off the ground and have a red leather covered MacArthur study Bible. Relational priorities. <coughs> Support flows through relationships. There must be a binding connection to the church other than finances. Our church is a missions-minded church. It's not a super large church, but I got a, uh, a communication, actually an email, from a guy and his family who are wanting to go to the field. This guy lives in Michigan, and he sent me his um, support-raising brochure in digital form. It was awesome. I told him it is the best introductory missionary support raising brochure I have ever seen. May I please use it as examples to other missionaries? He said, yeah. He said, will you support us? I said, no way, Jose. <laughs> you don't have any reason to come to Atlanta, Georgia, except money. If you had family here, if you had maybe another supporting church here, if your mission was based here, you need to find support near your sending church as your first priority and not scatter your energy all across America just because we happen to be the best possibility for your support, but we don't have any relationships there. Support flows through relationship. There must be a binding connection to the church other than finances. Too many missionaries are supported simply because they are FOP. You know what FOP is? Friend of the pastor. So what happens when the pastor wakes up on the other side of the bed or, you know, he moves on to another church or something happens with that relationship somehow and then all of a sudden that missionary is no longer relationally connected to the church? What do you do with that? Um, it's okay to be a friend of the pastor. I'm not saying the pastor shouldn't have any friends. <laughs> and I'm not saying that the pastor shouldn't love every missionary that's a true like-minded missionary on the face of the earth. But what I am saying is that being a friend of the pastor should not be the precipitating cause for that person being accepted and supported as a missionary of the church. You follow that? Have I broken enough bones yet? <laughs> Emphasis on personal engagement and involvement. So you need to ask the question, in what ways will our congregation be able to engage with and develop ownership of this ministry? It's an important question. Um, you want the, the work or the, and or the worker in some way to be accessible. We want our congregation not only to pray for the missionary in some generic sort of way, we want them to pray for the missionary kids. We want them to pray for the specific nationals that they are reaching out to, whether that be evangelism, discipleship, leadership training. We want them to have an understanding and, and be conversant with the names and relationships, because they're a part of our church, because we wrap our arms around them and own them, because we have a personal engagement and involvement with them. We did this in our North Africa project development, and I could go for a long time on how that has happened. Uh, I will get to a couple of things on that when we talk about strategy. Fewer get more. Fewer missionary units get more money. 
I think this is really important. Um, many of us come into a church situation in which we have inherited an older paradigm of supporting missionaries where you support as many as you can. I had one small church tell me one reason they support so many missionaries at $20 a month is because they wanted to get news of what God was doing all around the world. I'm sorry, I just don't buy that because they cannot have a level, level of ownership and, and fellow membership with those missionaries that they would if they supported fewer and really got to know them deeply and well and know their ministry well. Plus, in the long run, it's just not good stewardship. You've heard the wild stories of missionaries in a six or eight or nine month period of time putting on 40,000 miles on the car and sleeping in a different bed every night and never able to spend very much time in ministry or relationship with any of the people and churches that support them because they're trying to maintain all of that. We had a church that supported us early on when we went to the field. They supported us for, I want to say it was $100 a month. And they were in Dallas, and we lived in Atlanta, and my wife's family and some supporting churches lived in northern Indiana. And the people in Dallas said, we want you to come to our church when you're on furlough. And we told them, no, we're not going to come. Because if we came, it would cost our family as much to come to your church and back as you supported us for the whole five years we were on the field. And they said, no, we really want you to come. We'll pay for all of that so that you can come. You're one of the few missionaries that we support. It's a very small chapel, and we want you to come. And we did. It was awesome. But we initially told them, not good stewardship. And it's certainly not good stewardship for missionaries to go blasting all over the place. It's so much better stewardship for churches to have a larger percentage of investment, if you will, in their missionary support. There are a couple of examples of churches that support their overseas staff 100%, but I need to qualify that in two ways. Number one, um, one of these in the example um, actually has been blessed by God to have an endowment fund. Um, people of means in their congregation over decades of time have given bequests in their, in their will to the missions fund, so they have this huge, on the order of 10 to $20 million escrow fund for supporting missions, and so they're able to do that. If anybody wants to volunteer to do that for our church, <laughs> my name is on the paper there. That's an unusual sort of situation. It's not, it doesn't need to be that unusual, but it's very thoughtful of these missions-minded, elderly, wealthy believers to do that. It's amazing. Um, but even in their case and the other case, and there's a couple of the churches in North America that do this that I'm aware of, um, it's not that they give 100% support necessarily. The missionaries still raise support from family and friends and other ministry opportunities they've had over the years, and then the church sort of guarantees that they'll make up the difference. So after they've spent 3, 6, 12 months on support raising and, and diligently doing their job, to communicate and raise support, then the church will make up the difference. And we've seen that work quite well in a couple of different church situations. I'm not saying I recommend that. This is, they're unusual, but there are churches that do that. <coughs> We're going to move to defining priorities. Now, I wish you guys um, had this on your handout. You don't, you don't need to try to recreate it. But this is worth the cost of the workshop right here. That's what I'm told. Um, this little metric diagram will help you understand how to sort out those ministry priorities for funding. This PowerPoint, probably with even all the duplicate slides, um, is going to be made available to you. So somehow through TMEI, you're going to get an email that says, here's a link to the private folder that gives you all the workshop PowerPoints of all the workshops of this TMEI day. And you'll get this in there, so you don't need to have it. It's also on our website. But let me explain this to you. And it's probably, oh, I'm going to stay here. The, we got the camera running. So you have 
you have three axes, X, Y, Z. The red axis, the X axis, we'll say, is the relationship to the church. And you have tier one, tier two, tier three, tier four, all right? That represents different le levels of relationship to the church. If you had somebody that grew up in your church, understands the values of your church, how your church teaches the Bible, um, the centrality of the local church in all ministries, particularly in missions, they're tier one. Who's tier two? The next level are those who maybe came in at a later time. They didn't grow up in your church, but they know and embrace what your church teaches. They love your church, and they want to be representatives on the mission field by God's call and by his grace. And that's, that would be a tier two kind of person. Who's a tier three person? A tier three person would be someone who has recently come to the church. Maybe they don't know as much. Maybe they could grow into be a tier two person, but they've heard that you're a good missions church and that you support good work. They want to become associated with that. Tier four is Aunt Sally's niece and Uncle Bill's nephew and friend of the pastor that has nothing to do with your church or the guy who wrote from Michigan and he's a sweet brother doing the right stuff but has no connection whatsoever. Relationally, just not there. The farther right you go on that, the less possibility or the less money that you would get. Follow that? I know this is stinking practical, but <laughs> it works. The blue one, let's say that's the y-axis, is, no, that's accessibility gospel. We'll leave it like that. The green one is the z-axis, perhaps. We'll call that ministry priorities. Again, priority one, two, three, four. Priority one in my book is having to do with the central work of planting and developing indigenous local churches. Got that? So TMAI would be in tier one because they are raising up, they are training indigenous pastors for stronger biblical indigenous churches. Um, but the church planter guy, the guy who was focused on church planting, that guy is a priority one person. Priority two would be the, the next level of ministries that support and do that. Um, it might be translation work in an unreached people group. It might be some work that assists developing materials for church planting or perhaps uh, even, say, internet ministry or media ministry of some kind that is specifically targeted toward church planting. That might be a priority two type of ministry. A Timothy support type of ministry for those who are doing the work of the training and the planting of churches. Priority three would be uh, something less. You can kind of fill in the blanks, your experience of what that might be, but it might be something more like ministry that's predominantly service-oriented, community development, well drilling, farming, um, what else, technical ministry, maybe medical ministry, that is not directly doing the work of the church planting kind of stuff. And priority four, and you could extend it on, or priority five, six, whatever, that's, that's less so. That's um, stuff that is maybe not very well connected or only you have to use your imagination to suppose that it might be connected to your priorities. And anything below that, I say, it ends up in the fog and it's hard to determine. But again, the closer you are to the origin the more money and attention and concern you get. The farther away, less so. And if you own this as a church leadership and communicate it well to your church family before somebody gets interested in missions or feels called to missions, then they will know before they ever get there how they can zero in, if you will, to get the most out of the church in terms of support in every way, not just financially. The next one is access to the gospel, and the, the blue is for unengaged, unreached people groups. You know what that means? Unengaged? How many people think you know what that means? Eh, not enough. It was very weak. You understand unreached people groups, UPGs. UPGs, statistically, missiologically, less than 5% of the population or language speakers would be considered evangelicals. They continue to need outside help 
in order to reach their own people. Unengaged unreached people groups are those people groups who have no known resident Christian witness in their midst at all. That's unengaged. Um, there's a little video I love of uh, David Platt explaining this at the Cross Conference. And he says, people will tell me, like a student will tell me, oh, my, uh, my neighbor's unreached or my fellow student is unreached. Why, why do I have to go to some boondock kind of place? I can stay right at home and reach unreached here. And David Platt says they're not unreached. Why aren't they unreached? Because they know you. Because you're there. You're their classmate. You're their neighbor. You're their workmate. They're not unreached. They know a Christian that has the gospel. They're not unreached in that way. But unengaged, unreached people group, if we're going to finish the Great Commission, reach all nations, we have to figure out what those nations are. I don't buy all the stuff of U.S. Center for World Missions, but this concept is a valid one just by itself. We need to reach all the people groups of the world with the gospel and plant churches there. So un unengaged, unreached people groups, unreached people groups, pioneering or new initiatives in areas that have perhaps been reached. In fact, it's, it's amazing the statistics coming out of Western and Northern Europe and Scandinavia. Uh, Sweden is the fastest um, growing non-Christianizing nation. I don't, I don't remember the right term, but there, there's more turning away from Christianity historically in Sweden, and statistically, they're like an unreached people group all over again. And this is true in France, in many places, in Germany, in England, in all over Western Europe. But new initiatives, pioneering of church planting, and then Timothy, your technical or institutional kind of ministry, and I don't, I don't mean to just throw all institutions into there, but there are lots of mission groups or agencies that have institutional ministries of uh, primary school education or medical clinics or this or that, that they operate as institutional ministries with no direct connection to church planning or development. And I would put them up in that tier. Tracking? You okay? All right. I'm, I'm not getting spears yet. another interesting graph that we use to help uh, explain this because I get lots of questions from well-meaning church elders that say, well, what about local ministry? Shouldn't we just sort of split all of our missions money into 50% local and 50% foreign? And I say, again, no way, Jose, or my favorite New Testament Greek word, baloney. Um, no, because of this um, dynamic, the near cultural distance, that is the Jerusalem Judea people, they are easy to reach by masses of our congregation with little cost. Literature, perhaps. Um, gospel DVDs or link-ups or internet ministry or even radio ministry locally to reach lots and lots of people. Many people can be involved with fewer dollars for big outreach. But as you move to cultural far distances, it takes so much more preparation, so much more time in the development of that person to be long-term effective and faithful on the field. And like some great radio preacher from old, I don't remember who it was now, said, the gospel is free, but it takes a lot of money to pipe it there. Right? Um, it does take many dollars. Somebody asked me at lunch, well, how much dollars does it take? Well, it depends on where you go. If you go to Central Africa or some islands where the, where the weather is nice, you know, 365 days a year, and the economy's low, maybe a missionary family could get by with, say, $4,000 a month, including the cost of repatriating them for home assignment every so often. But if you go to France, same family, eight or $9,000 a month. You go to Hong Kong or um, you go to some places in northern Europe, you go to Japan, it could be double that easily. And 
so the cost is vastly different. I'm mentoring a couple of missionaries, the church uh, association that we're with. One's going to Cambodia, and the other one wants to go to Japan. Well, that's one of those double kind of things. Like one guy's family maybe takes them $6,500, $7,000 a month to raise to all that they need for children's education and medical and blah, 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 all the stuff. And the other guy is going to take 1500 I mean 15000 a month to live. That, that's a big difference. You don't weigh it by that. I mean, your goal is not to support the cheapest places you possibly can. But based on what heart your church has and connections your church has and people that the Lord sends your way, you have to, you have to count the cost. And that's part of it. So it's not a 50-50 balance financially. You do have an obligation for local outreach, and that's a different seminar. Leading with focus and effectiveness, we're going to talk about pursuing focus and what that really means. Identifying our particular strategic focus toward fulfilling the Great Commission. It could be a people group, like we talked about unreached people groups. Like we want to go to the Hmong of someplace in China, or we want to go to Muslim speakers in China Northwest, or we want to go to uh, Berbers in North Africa. It could be a specific people group. It could be a specific type of ministry. I'll give an example of that, but um, maybe your church is wired for a particular type of ministry or a project. We're talking about a rifle rather than shotguns. It doesn't mean that everything your church supports has to be only that in God's providence. It rarely works out that way. There's usually other things that are involved as well. But it is identifying a niche in regards to fulfilling the Great Commission and World Mission. Our church chose North Africa Project because we had workers engaged with North Africans, and we wanted to follow that up with specific church planning efforts in North Africa. So we were driven along that line. What it takes to discover a strategic focus, you may need to define your terms. What is a goal or strategic focus or strategy? Um, I'm not going to you know, try to mince all the technical business terms in relation to this in a church. The, the point is that you have a general direction that you're going that you want to be a focus for your church. It doesn't have to be only one, but most churches, at least the kind of medium to smaller sized churches that we work with, are best if they have one, and they'll have some other things that they support that fall in the same range of their priorities, but not necessarily on that strategic focus. Ask the congregation, what missions focus would you be interested in? What languages does your family speak? What neighbors do you, kind of ethnic neighbors do you have? Just ask the congregation, do an actual survey and find out what's going on. It's one church that did this found out that <coughs> the strategic focus group that they picked had the largest concentration outside of their home country, just north of their metro area. They didn't even know about it until they started asking questions and doing a little bit of ethnographic research and census data to figure that out. It's like, wow, we can train our people before we ever send them to the field. It's awesome. They get to learn how to drink that you know, strange tea and eat that strange stuff before they ever go. I had a great advantage when we went to the Philippines. I grew up in the deep south. They didn't eat anything weirder than I did growing up. <laughs> Leave it at that. What present connections does the church have? Maybe you already have some connections somehow through the church and ministries that you already support. That's what happened with us in North Africa Project. We just did a stepping stone, a leapfrog of something we already supported. What are the bridges? Find out what those bridges are. Maybe there are some professional bridges that people in your congregation have that would tend toward helping you identify that strategic focus in your church. And of course, going back to your guiding principles, drive the focus or the goal. You, wanna, you don't want to get involved in, um, I don't know what, a, a ministry to aircraft manufacturing people in Tajikistan if they don't manufacture any airplanes in Tajikistan. Or, you know, it, your guiding principles are going to help you kind of figure out what to do for census data, missionary input, we actually asked our missionaries in our church's process, what are the most strategic missionary needs near you? 
Uh, it might not be your exact ministry, but it's something else that you see out there that you wish somebody would address or do, or that you would like to be involved in even, but you haven't had the, the jump start to be able to do that. And specializations within the congregation. Um, I'll, I'll tell you this. I think it's going to come up later, but church in uh, Johnson City, Tennessee, when they did this kind of survey, they figured out that one-third of their people were employed in the medical industry. One-third of their people. And they kept asking the question, why are so many of our congregation going on medical short-term trips? Well, guess what? And so what they did is they didn't stop the medical short-term trips, per se, that were all done sort of outside the church. They just kind of brought that into the church. They said, we can organize and lead our own medical trips. We've got all the personnel and technical uh, things that we need to do that. So let's do that. And then the church owned that, and it was then pointed a little more in the direction of church planting besides. So they got a double bang for their buck. See the church missions profile? And um, I mentioned, this is the one I said, Elizabeth, Tennessee, large percentage worked in medical work. Um, Bethel Church in Houston did a congregational survey to help them identify uh, strategic needs, and they did that. Uh, they followed up on that. Westover Church in uh, Greensboro, North Carolina, could not decide which among the greatest needs of the world. So if you know the, the, the little thumb thing, tribal, Hindu, unchristian or Chinese, Muslim, Buddhist, of the major blocks of people in the world that are basically unreached, which should we go to? And they were a large church and well-resourced church. They couldn't decide. They said, okay, let's do three of them. But they just didn't do it all at once. They took one for three years. And after that three-year period, there were several in their congregation that were called to full-time ministry because of their connection and ownership of that. Then they took the second one for three years and the third one for three years, basically a 10-year plan. And they got involved. I don't know why that's that way. Here we go. Here's some resources. Um, you'll see it on the PowerPoint if you get it later. Um, where are we on time? Are we? Two more minutes. <laughs> we, we do a whole seminar series on this. Um, it's very important, the whole, the whole vision process of getting to the point to consciously becoming ascending church. And uh, I'm just going to have to tell you, call us, write us, email us, do something, send us a carrier pigeon. Uh, we'll try to help your church. Uh, one of the principles of Propempo is that um, we, we'll never invoice you for services. So call us to help your church, and we'll help your church the best we can, Lord, uh, enabling us. That doesn't necessarily mean we'll be able to come, uh, particularly if it costs a mint. We're very dependent on faith support, but we'll help your church as much as we can in whatever way we can, and we're not going to bill you for services. Oh, where were you when he said two minutes? I guess he maybe sent you. I've got a little more time. <laughs> um, if you don't know about uh, Joshua Project or peoplegroups.info or peoplegroups.com, look at demographic graphic info in there. Um, do a field visit. That may be part of your whole thing. It may take most churches about two years' time to work through the process to identify a strategic focus. I'm just being real with you. It's not going to happen overnight, and you've got to have the whole elders with you and then bring your people along with you when we got the north africa project started i was so excited i was just ready to go 100 miles an hour and my pastor who's one of my best friends in church said wait a minute david you're on the expressway going full speed in the far left lane and our people are just on the on-ramp you need to get them up to speed which was great counsel um, ask missionaries and or nationals on the field ask others do, that are doing similar work what is the real market on the ground there Two, two and a half years, a pastoral vision trip team to go. Um, I'm obviously racing 
here, but identify a budget for that. It's going to cost money for you to do the right research to do this if you do it well. So get a budget for that. Um, hopefully you're going to get some off the PowerPoint. I'm sorry, I must have got stalled somewhere. But I want to get to, um, where is that slide? Eh. Sorry. Well, I'm going to leave it. We got a couple minutes. I'm going to ask for like two questions. One. Um, just talking about your whole presentation, trying to shift from being a shotgun approach to a rifle approach. Uh, in, in my context, reading a lot of this to uh, our missions committee and our elders, it would be a foreign concept and have strategy. And I'm just thinking, how do I prevent this without coming across heartless? Because we're talking about cutting off so and so's best friend. That's great. I'll I'll uh, mentor your successor. Um, <laughs> okay. Um, number one. Win all the elders to guiding principles. If I come to your church, I'm going to insist my first meeting has to be with all the elders. Not forget the missions team. They can sit on the side and observe if they want, but the elders have to embrace the guiding principles. Number two, it takes time to do this. You do not heartlessly, ungraciously cut off people. You grandfather everything. All right? You understand that? You, you agree. Everything that we do now is going to exist tomorrow but we are going to have a plan that brings us into alignment with what we want in terms of guiding principles and perhaps strategic focus in five years. So there are lots of natural points of attrition that will help you gain that in five years' time. And it's amazing what God can do. Three, vision and communication from the leadership is essential. So even in going, that I just mentored a church in Florida. Elders, don't be afraid to tell your church, Pray for us. We don't know what we're doing, but we are on our knees evaluating our missions ministries, knowing that we want to be more glorifying to God in how we do it. Ask their prayer before you even get going. And you get a little momentum and you share some guiding principle stuff with them, teach them from the scriptures, work that out, and then you just keep moving down the path and you won't lose your job, brother. One more. Yes, sir. Yes and no. It, it's, uh, this is for the pastor and elders, but obviously it applies to the missions team in terms of enabling whole church mobilization. Yeah, but we're going to talk about practical ways for doing that. Good. Guys, I have to break. Um, thank you so much for being here. Thanks for your attention. Fill out the online evaluation and feedback form, please. And then write me, email me, call me if you want more. <laughs>